happening? Welcome in, everyone. Just another sports podcast. Greg Swatek, Josh Smith, welcome back from vacation, sir. Hey, thanks. Colin McGuire here with you, and we are very pleased to welcome on this week Barry Zverluga, Washington Post columnist and one of the very best sports writers in the country. Barry, we've wanted to have you on for a couple of months now, but this uh, busy sports summer we've had in D.C. has kept getting in the way. I mean, between uh, the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup, the All-Star Game, Bryce taking the home run derby, Tiger playing in his own tournament at TPC Potomac. I mean, what's your general takeaway from all this activity we've had in our own backyard here? Yeah, it's been pretty hectic. I mean, I think the thing that, that changes it pretty fundamentally is the Capitals thing. You go from, you know, a situation where we're pretty comfortable and used to having hockey end in mid-May in some sort of torturous fashion and um you know you kind of put that to to bed and have some time before the Nats really settle into a a pennant race you know dabble in the golf tournament whatever might else might be going on but when you when you make it two months of hockey and and have it end in a situation where it felt like Washington sports kind of changed there a bit because not only did the Capitals you know, kind of shrug off a bunch of curse-like stuff, but the the city felt different because it finally had a champion, the first one since that that Redskins Super Bowl team in '91, '92. So, <clears throat> so much changed with that, and and it really it took up a lot of time for the right reasons, right? Finally, it felt like, wow, good things can happen to to DC sports teams, and and we'll have to see how that affects things going forward. Uh, Barry, were you bracing yourself for the failure with the Capitals? I mean, why, why, why was it different this year? Well, you know, that's it's funny. You're kind of trained and conditioned, you're right, to, to brace yourself um, for those failures. I mean, I haven't been here, you know, going back to those uh, old collapses when they used to blow 3-1 leads back in the in the 90s. But, but for the Ovechkin era, um, Capitals, I've, I've been here for all of that. And... Uh, I, I will say that that while in the early stages um, I was definitely bracing myself for for a collapse, and, and remember they dropped the first two games of the first round to to Columbus and went to double overtime in Game Three at Columbus. If they lose that game, there's no way we're having this conversation. But I did at some point um, in the in the Pittsburgh series when they went up. Uh, three games to two, and they were presented an opportunity to win the series and, and vanquish the Penguins um, in Pittsburgh in game six. I I kind of felt when they won that game with a really depleted lineup, Tom Wilson was suspended, um, Nicholas Backstrom was out with an injury, that it did feel different. And I, I can't say that on that night I thought, well, this team's going to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, they did you know, um, fall behind Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Finals 3-2. to two. Um, But it, it felt different. Um, Ovechkin felt different. He felt more committed. He felt more like a leader. Um, everything kind of fell into place after that. It was, it was fun to feel how that could feel, if that makes any sense, after all the times when you, when you felt the opposite, like, oh, man, this is going to go the wrong way. Yeah, Barry, I'm quite curious about a couple of things with the Capitals. Um, and I'm sure as a reporter, it's like a dream to be covering something like that um, when it happens and there's this huge relief and it's a lot of fun. Um, 
my curiosity is with for somebody like you did you eventually because you know you had, then you had the parade and you had you just have the, and it rolled right into the off season um, and you had signings and stuff. I was just wondering if somebody like you would have like fatigue, like capitals fatigue after a while, or if you just like remained on a natural high or like you were just high on that story the whole time. What was it like for well, you? Well, yeah, that's that's a it's a good one. I mean, um, I would say maybe a little bit of both. I mean, the wear and tear is really more on the on the beat writer sure. at that point. Isabel Kershudian, yeah, is our excellent beast beat writer, and and she. I mean, yeah, I did the parade and, and um, did all that kind of stuff. And um, and that was that was certainly fun. It was neat to see how Washington turned out. I think there were questions about um, who would show up and whether it would be, you know, whether the mall would look fit, full and, and all that. And I think those were those were answered. Um, I do think when you're in my position and you want to keep your hands in a few things, and you want to be able to be fairly nimble um and, you know, maybe writing a Nats column and then right. writing a Caps column and then writing something about college football or, or, you know, kind of bouncing around a little bit. It was a little bit hard to write. I don't know what it was, you know, 30 straight Caps columns or something <laughs> like that. Um, so it, it felt good to get you know, to go to the Nats clubhouse and to touch base with people there again and re-engage um, with the baseball team. Um, but also, I mean, you know, we don't care who wins and loses, but we did need the story to change here. I mean, I've had this conversation with many of my colleagues, particularly Dan Steinberg, who he and I have kind of traded off over the years, the woe is DC sports story that we've had to do for, a one of the paper every once in a while or do a column on, on, you know, why does this always go wrong? It felt good to be able to write something different. And, and the high of that, uh, you know, it didn't matter if it was the capitals or the Nats or the wizards or whoever turned it around, just that somebody finally did that kind of sustained you for a little bit, for a little bit, I think. Right. I'm not sure you're aware, but we are we are subscribers to the post Bloomberg wire service. So we run your stuff all the time, just okay. so you know. So we we love it. We read it all the time. I think our readers really love to read it and to see it in the paper. So um, I was also curious about you talked about Isabel. How closely are you working with her like in the midst of all of this going on in the day to day? Obviously, you don't want to step on each other's toes with well, she's not writing opinion, but she needs to be aware of like what your angles are. And I'm sure you're picking her brain. Like, give me a sense of what your relationship's like with her in the midst of a run to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, no, she's great. I mean, she's super energetic and, and really on top of the locker room. And if, if, you know, she's the person that if if I say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking this about such and such a player, she, she'll either say, oh, yeah, you're totally right. Or no, um, you know, think about this. So and so told me this during right. the year. Um, she's got a much better handle on the inner workings of, a, of the locker room than I do. We both have kind of our touchstones in the organization who we go to for, for information. And, um, and then, yeah, we, we have to just for the, the paper sake and for the website's sake, um, you know, c communicate and coordinate as to what, what each of us is writing about on a given day so that we have all the pertinent topics covered. And by the finals, we had, you know, a, a really deep and talented roster of people that were going with us to Vegas and, and, yeah. uh, 
and really rounding out whatever storyline was was going to develop. But um, yeah, she and I spent uh, a lot of uh, nights having post game beers, figuring out what the next step would be the next day, and that was uh, a ton of fun. And then we we also combined um, after it happened after they won the cup on a um, pretty extensive uh, what we would call a TikTok sure. of of how the season went down and how this actually happened and the different pivot points and key characters uh, along the way that she and I reported jointly and and I wrote for the Sunday paper the the um, yeah. Sunday after they won the cup. What, what time were you getting to bed on a lot of these nights? Well. Um, you know, you know, newspapers, right? I mean, you, you, you know how this yeah. goes, the, the game, I, our deadlines were, if I'm remembering correctly, were pretty, I was probably pretty strictly had to be in at 1230, 1245 ish or so. So it's not like insane. I mean, we would, we would try to, you do need to decompress afterwards a little bit and kind of make sure while you're the, what happened is fresh in your mind. You can kind of process, okay, what did we cover in, you know, the stories that we wrote for that next day's paper or for the website that are going up right, right mm-hmm. then. And then what's left over, what are right. the angles right. that, that we need to get to. So there's a, it's a pretty good, you know, communal, um, like I said, it's great to go and have a couple beers and talk about it like you would like a sports fan. But if you, you know, you're you're doing it as a as a sports fan, but also as a writer thinking it, it's just a great way to, to make sure you're you're thinking the right way for the next day. So that you're right. you're not waking up and clearing out the cobwebs and saying, OK, what what the heck am I going to write today? You've got a pretty good good idea before you go to bed. Hey, hey, Barry, switching on gears a little bit here. The Nationals, even if they were to win this afternoon, are a below 500 baseball team right now. What, what, what should our level of concern be with, be with the Nats right now? I mean, I don't know. On a scale of 1 to 10, like 9.5, I think. I, um, I think so, too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're 100 games into the season today. Uh, the, you know, I think. Um, and it's not just that they're a sub 500 team, but they've got two teams ahead of them. Um, I'm not saying that Atlanta and Philadelphia are infallible at all. I mean, they, they're most of the characters on those teams have never been in that position before, but you know, the nationals were that way in 2012 and, and, um, and pretty much led wire to wire. Um, this team for all its success in the last, uh, six seasons when they have four division titles, They've never come from behind to win a, a division title. And there just doesn't seem to be every time you think, OK, well, maybe they'll uh, they'll use this win to build on. They don't build on it. And I don't know um, exactly how to put a finger on why that is. I just know it's it's not happening. Um, and, and that is at this point in the year, you know, with the trade deadline coming up next week you really have to wonder, well, wait, they've always been buyers. Should they be sellers at this point? Um, because you've got the long-term health of the franchise to think about as well. And, and you don't want to give away prospects if you don't really believe that this team can turn it around. So 
I don't know. I look at the lineup every day. I'm like, well, that's a pretty good lineup. I'm not sure why it hasn't happened, but you've got to be realistic that that it hasn't, and the concern level should probably be pretty high. Barry, you were talking about building something. Uh, Bryce Harper had a great performance at the Home Run Derby. Do you think that that will sort of ignite him for the second half of the season and he'll be able to turn his season around? Well, I mean, I would have said yes uh, when it happened. I mean, he was just so joyous that night, and, and you really saw the city respond to him and him respond to the crowd, and it, was, it played out. I mean, if you were to draw up a, a Home Run Derby um, – you know, one that didn't include Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton or, or some of the big sluggers who who opted out. You know, you'd want Bryce Harper Harper against whoever, Kyle Schwarber in the in the final and, and you'd want that kind of comeback and, and kind of that atmosphere. Um, Bryce has had a good game or two since the break ended, uh, but he's not quite there yet. I have talked to him pretty extensively about what he thinks his issues are. And he doesn't, I don't think he's overthinking it. He, he's got to lay off pitches that he's getting himself out on. And he's, he's got to not get frustrated at hitting the ball in the shift. Sometimes um, I still kind of believe that, you know, he, his OPS is at something like eight forty right now. I, I still, if I were a betting man and the over under was, uh, a 900 OPS for the year. I, I think he's probably above 900, which means he would have a really good second half. Um, but he is kind of just like the team. Every time you think it's gonna it's gonna turn around, it comes up just a little bit short of turning around. And um, he hasn't had the kind of consistent at bats he he needs to have to be the player that he I think he really is. You said you've talked to him extensively. Have you talked at all about him coming back? Uh, and maybe personally for you, do you think you used a scale of 1 to 10? We'll say 10 means he's definitely coming back. What do you think? Well, that's a hard one. I mean, it's it's impossible for him to answer because, you know, coming back is a two-way street, and they, they haven't um, had extensive negotiations about what a contract might look like. So, um, you know, I do know he... He likes it here. Um, I also know he has an agent in Scott Boris that is not likely to make this a um, a situation where one team could bid on his services when he would like 30 teams to bid on his services because that's how you st- establish a market. Um, I think it, it, the, the way I would phrase it, and this is guesswork to a certain extent because, you know, Bryce and I certainly haven't gone through and handicapped like, well, how much would you like to play in Philadelphia or how much would you like to play in New York or how much would you like to play in Los Angeles? I mean, I haven't talked to him in those terms uh, about it, but I would say that the odds have to be against him ending up in Washington. But if you had to take each team and put odds on each team that maybe the Washington, the nationals would have the best chance if that makes any sense. So in other words, he would have a less than 50% chance of staying here. But if you took all the teams that were possible, maybe the Nationals would be at 15% and the Dodgers would be at 12% and the Phillies would be at 10 I'm just making up numbers. But if that makes any sense, that's that's kind of the way that I'm that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Is, is he still going to get – I mean, the number that everybody was talking about with him prior to this year is, oh, he's going to be the first $400 million contract guy. As, say he has that second half where he gets the OPS up above 900 or whatever. Is that going to happen? Do you see $400 million? 
Well, I was of the mind a couple, maybe 18 months ago, that that 400 was laughable and he was going to get 500. I don't. <laughs> I, that's that's not. I think that's wildly incorrect. Now, um, yeah. there's a couple ways to think about it. I mean, last year's off season. Um, if you talk to agents, they believe there was kind of a fundamental change in how ownership acted uh, in free agency. And that's not just to say that um, it was a slow market or, you know, Mike Moustakis didn't get the contract that he thought he was going right. to get that that kind of thing. It was there was real inactivity. Um, there were not clubs initiating the process, the bidding process as they, as they would in the past. How does that impact Harper and, you know, Manny Machado, who is you know, at this point is probably a more coveted free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because, you know, he's, he's as good a hitter as, as Bryce is probably, but, but he plays a more premium defensive position. And right. even if he has to, you know, he can play gold glove third base as well. Um, it's hard to say. I, I would say that I don't think it's crazy to think he'd get $400 million, uh, particularly if he has a big second half. Um, but I also I don't think it's obvious that he will any anymore when I did. You know, I, I did think it was obvious before um, the market. Things have shifted in baseball free agency, and I'm just not sure. I can't tell yet, and I don't think anybody can tell yet. Um if it shifted so fundamentally that it, that it will affect stars at the, at Harper and Machado level, or if that was more of a, well, look, we're not going to, we're not going to give tens of millions of dollars or $15 million a year to, you know, guys entering their mid thirties when we can, um, we, we can fill out our lineup with talented younger players who are much, much cheaper. Barry, I want to shift off of sports, however, briefly here and kind of get into your background as a journalist, if that's okay with you. Um, Yeah, no problem. We had, uh, from what I understand, you, one of your early jobs out of college, and you went to Duke. um, And from everything I understand, you're a pretty proud Dukey, right? (laughs) Uh, I mean, I went to Duke and was really happy to go there. I'm not like painting my face to root for the basketball team or anything. You're not not a Cameron crazy, Barry? (laughs) Not at all. No, I I, I very much like going there. uh, But my uh, rooting interest in the Blue Devil basketball team has long since dissipated. <laughs> you uh, spent some time at the Press Herald in uh, Portland, Maine, if I'm not mistaken. And I, I visited that city last summer. I really enjoyed it myself. So I wanted to just ask you a broad question of what it's like to work at the newspaper in Portland, Maine. Well, um, I love Portland, Maine. Uh, I go back to Maine every summer. Um, I, I mean, it's really one of the great towns uh that was my second newspaper job my first one was at a small paper in in upstate new york and um you know this was really at the kind of end of this was in the uh mid 90s um that would have been the normal path to you know ending up at the washington post back in those days was you know you work at a small paper and then you work at a less small paper and then you work (laughs) at a mid-sized paper and then hopefully you end up at a at a large paper if that's what you you want to do um that path doesn't really exist anymore or, or it would be really really rare um we hire people much younger for much bigger jobs than i would have been ever been ready to do at that age but um portland was a great 
town to live in. It's a good sports town. Um, minor league baseball is fun there. When I was there, in fact, Barry Trotz was the coach of the Portland Pirates, who were then affiliated with the Capitals. Um, so it's a good minor league sports town. Uh, I covered a ton of, of high school sports, um, which they're really into there. Um, great place to live, great place to visit. Um, I would recommend visiting between uh, June and September, um, but uh, <laughs> really, really fun fun, fun place. You mentioned that, and you kind of touched on this a little, but you mentioned that that path that you took to the Washington Post doesn't quite exist anymore. Is there a, a very, I don't want to say very specific, but is what, what's sort of the preferred path now, would you say? Well, I think we have a really good history with our internship program. Um, so many of our best young writers and, and people who are on beats, and they're not even that young anymore, some of them, uh, have come through our summer internship program. During my time, we've had between one and three interns every summer. We have three this year. It's a pr pretty competitive um, thing to get in out of college, but or, or while you're in college. Um, but if if you're lucky enough to get one of those internships uh, and you do well, you know we our sports editor Matt Vita has a really good history of taking care of the interns and and getting them jobs, mostly starting on preps, but um, we'll take Chelsea Janes, one of our, um, well, actually Chelsea Janes and Jorge Castillo, uh, our two Nats beat writers were both former interns, um, at the post. Isabel was an intern here. Um, Samantha Powell, who's now covering preps was an intern just last summer. So that, that, uh, gives you kind of, a path where you're allowed to learn and be brought along fairly slowly, but also be, if you're ready for it, be given some pretty significant responsibility, uh, at a pretty young age. So, um, it's kind of neat to see them develop. You also, outside of the Washington post, you've written two books. Uh, the most recent one I believe was the grind. Is that correct? That's right. Um, do you have any plans to write another book somewhere down the line? And if you do, what would it be about? Well, that's the issue, right? I mean, I, I would I would certainly like to do it, um, but coming up with a, a good topic is uh, a big part of the battle. Um, the first book I wrote was when I was on the, the Nats beat for their first season um, when they moved from Montreal and became the Nationals in 2005, and that was pretty natural. You, you write about the return of baseball to Washington, D.C. after a... Mm -hmm. A 33 year absence um and we should say grind, that's called national pastime i believe national pastime okay. that's right yeah. yeah um and then the grind developed out of a uh series i did for the paper and in fact kind of lifted almost directly for a lot of the chapters um from that about um the day-to-dayness of, of baseball so they the i there i almost call them cheater books because they're really so closely linked to um to work I was doing for the paper anyway. Um, and that's, that allows that's you actually kinda, smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, well, I mean, you know, if you, if you say you do a, whatever, a biography of Babe Ruth or Walter Johnson or something, it would be hard to do your day to day sure. job and, and, and have enough time to write a book. You'd really, to write the book the right way, you'd need to take time off from your job or you're not doing your job the right way, or you're not, or you're selling the book short or some combination of those two. So, 
if I come up with a good topic and, and it fits into my schedule, I'd be I'd be thrilled to do another one um, for sure. Well, Barry, I'm the sports editor here, and I sit at my desk and I read lots of stories about lots of different stuff. And I have to be honest with you, I'm not all that interested in every sport. I, I just I'm just not. And I wonder about somebody like you. How in the world do you maintain such a high level of interest across the gamut of the sports world and pick topics? you know, out of all these different categories and, and have such command of, of the information. Like, I, I just wonder how does somebody like you have, you know, have, have that much knowledge about, um, and stay on top of things while so raising well. a family too, while yeah. raising a family and, and have, yeah, trying well, to have a no, life. I appreciate that. I mean, there, there is a, um, there's, it's a little bit of a test and I, and I understand what you're saying about, you know, I don't, I don't sit down and, um, in front of sports center the way I did when I was in college, say, and just drink in every result and, and all that. I think one, I think of it less about if I'm choosing, if it's just a regular day and I'm kind of trying to figure out what am I going to write about? Um, I'm thinking of it less about what sport it is and more about, you know, what is the story? Who are the characters? What are we writing about? Um, you know, I, wrote a column for this morning's paper about Josh Hader, the, the Brewers pitcher who had some pretty unfortunate tweets, uh, unearthed, um, racist and homophobic stuff that he had written years ago, uh, that came to light during the all-star game last week. And then he was cheered at Miller park. And it doesn't really matter that he was a baseball pitcher. He could have been a, uh, hockey player or a basketball player or whatever. Um, you're just trying to drill in on whatever the, the issue is. I, I do think that because um, I've spent a lot much more time around baseball now than probably any other sport in my career, mm-hmm. um, that's the one I feel most comfortable drilling in on really nerdy baseball stuff, you know, whether it's how to break them down a net bat or a situation in a game or how the Nationals should think about their roster construction or, or something like that. That's, that's where I'm most, you know, um, comfortable and, and afloat. Uh, but I also think, um, it's a little bit and probably a little bit, uh, of a throwback because I, you know, I'm not, I haven't just done one sport my whole life. Like I kind of came up after Portland, I went to Raleigh and was a, college basketball and football writer. And that's what I came to the the post to be initially. And then I, you know, I did time on the Redskins beat. I've, I've done the golf thing. I've been to um, a bunch of Olympics and, and all that. So that gives you a little bit more, you just feel a little more confident and comfortable writing about the stuff you've been around. And I just happen to have been around, you know, maybe more stuff than, than somebody who's been uh, really diving in on on the nfl for for 20 right. years uh, barry if you look at the composition of the post sports staff most of the most if not all of the beats are being handled by women and they're all very good at, and excellent at their jobs i mean sally jenkins has been one of the top columnists in the country for a long time what do you think that says about the posts in general and just the way our in- industry is changing well i think it's great and i think that the great thing is is you know we this kind of um, got some attention maybe within the last year or so, but it, um, 
it really came about really naturally. I mean, when Matt Vita, the sports editor, went to fill specific openings, you know, the uh, strongest candidate in so many situations happened to be a woman. So then all of a sudden we looked up and was like, whoa, wait, we've got four pro beats and all of them have, have at least one one woman on it. Um, that's that's cool. I think it says more about each of them as individuals. And at the time it was Chelsea, Isabel, Candace Buckner on the um, Wizards and, and Liz Clark was on the Redskins, she's no longer on the, she's moving off the skins, but, but Kimberly Martin is moving right in. Um, so, uh, you know, I would, I don't think that I, I, I'm not involved in the hiring process, but I know just as we talk about candidates, um, just among us as sports writers, I don't think any of us are thinking like, well, while we need a woman here, we have, you know, it just is like, well, she's really good. She should she would fit in great here. Um, it's a pretty natural process, I think. That, and that's the way it should be thought about, right? It's, it should not be, this is a woman covering the speed. It's, this person is very good at their job. I mean, that, that's no, how it's supposed to work. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think the women who, who were covering those beats could speak to what challenges they have in, in um, facing some biases they might have in, you know, front offices or, or, um, or in locker rooms and their challenges are different. Uh, and, and, but you know, that, I know that as a sports staff, that's not how we think of it at, at all. I mean, they're they're all really excellent at their jobs. And I know that, you know, I know Chelsea really well. And I know how much Mike Rizzo, the, the Nationals general manager, respects how much work she puts in and how often she shows up and the questions she's at, she asks and her knowledge of the game. And that's, you know, it's uh, an e- it's easy for sources to deal with anybody who's well prepared and thoughtful and and respectful and does the work so it's pretty simple actually yeah hey barry we're thrilled to have you on you said you could give us a half an hour we could talk to you all day i mean are you able to go a little longer or do you need do you need to i can, get going, I can give you i can go like five more minutes before i got to pick my daughter up from camp uh, per, per, perfect uh we wanted to ask you about uh, tiger woods and his uh, recent resurgence i mean how close do you how close to winning do you think he is and is he as close as some in the golf media are leading us to believe well, I mean, it's such a tantalizing thing to say, um, and uh, I think if you watch him play, it. I mean, I, I I walked 18 holes with him when they had the tournament here at, at uh, TPC Potomac, and the thing that was clear to me, he played well that day. I think he shot 67 or something. Um, is he has all the shots, and I, that was one thing I, I wondered about, like would he ever be able to really just really lay into a driver again or, or, a, uh, or a three wood from the fairway and get after these par fives like he used to. Um, and he's got the touch around the greens uh, now too, which I, you know, you wondered when he was chunking chips, if that was ever going to return. Um, the thing, you know, there are a couple things that I would be cautious about. Um, I've always said that the thing that, that made Tiger Tiger more than anything was you know, the eight to 10 foot putt, whether it's for birdie or for bogey, um, he was going to make that a lot. And so making a, uh, what looks like is going to be a five, a four instead. Um, that's just a huge thing in keeping rounds together. I, I'm not sure he can ever putt with that consistency 
again um, because it's so hard to get just unfailing confidence back in that stroke. I, I would say that I think he's going to win on the PGA Tour, um, and and maybe that would that would happen soon. Um, my contention has been that if he were going to win a major, um, the best bet is at Augusta because even when he hasn't played well for big chunks of time, he knows how to get, get it around there when he's physically compromised or not playing his best. And I would think that that would um, continue. Um, but lastly, I think that the performance at Carnoustie in the, in the British that just closed maybe gives people a little more hope that it might not just be um, at Augusta where he has a chance to, to win a major. Maybe he could come up with something somewhere else because he certainly played a, a pretty nice tournament there. One more question, Barry, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. We had Jason Lockenfora on the podcast uh, not too long ago, and he also appears on a podcast that you appear on, the Tony Kornheiser podcast. Um, I asked him this question. I want to ask you, and, and it's got to be short, obviously, because you got to go. Do you have any Tony Kornheiser stories you might be able to share? Uh, any memories from working with him? Tony, man. Uh, well, I can say that Tony's been nothing but good to me um, since I came to the Post, and I, I, I've never been able to figure out how or why. He was still a columnist when um, when I got to the Post in 2004. Um, specific stories, I mean, I don't, you know, the thing that I think makes that podcast and, and really makes PTI um, by extension is that, uh, you know, that's not an act. I mean, he, Tony is who he is and, and um, it's the same off the air as on the air and, and just really fun and, and um, so insightful and not just funny for funny's sake, but, but uh, you know, really sharp witted and smart guy. Um, I really wish he still wrote because his columns are so good and so funny and, and being funny in a column, that's a gutsy thing to try to do because it, it, if you fail at it, you look terrible. Um, and he was so consistent with that for so long. It's really an amazing thing to watch. I, I just, I think the world of him, uh, and, and happy he's been so nice to me for so long. And Barry, we're happy that you were able to come on with us this week. Uh, we, uh, it was great talking to you and then we'll have to have you on again sometime soon. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much for making it work. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Barry. Thanks. That that guy is uh, is, is awesome. That was pretty so, awesome. So yeah. So <laughs> I mean, did, I wanted to ask him like what what's the most memorable event he's he's ever covered? Because he's done he's done he's done so much. He's done um, he's 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 done the Olympics. He's done um, the first the first Nat season stuff like that. So I mean, just I I wanted to get that question, in, but obviously he had to go. But but just, I mean, he's had the career that like. When I think of myself as a sports writer, that like that's kind of the career I want to have. Well, that's interesting too because he kind of the idea that there was uh, once a path that I think the three of us sitting here thought we would take Absolutely. if we were going to do right. it. Now, now, we're like, old, now, we're yeah. like, now we're like old guys. And now he, there's he, no he, way we're getting. He, he like shot us out of the. He like shot screwed. us out of the water. Yeah, right. We're, we're a bunch of old guys uh, talking now. So was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I, I did. I wanted to ask him. And I was I wasn't going to go into it at the last minute there, but I did want to ask him about sort of the what seems like a very obvious choice that the post has made to write so much about fans. And I think it's largely because of 
the torture that they have gone gone through, specifically with the Capitals and the Redskins. And obviously, it's a you know they've gone through some really terrible stuff. But I get I just wonder if he is, is as interested in those stories <laughs> as everybody think uh, he's th- as they think everybody is. Because I'm certainly not. I, I don't read any stories about fans. I mean, they just don't interest me. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I I love the 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 line about trying to write funny because when you fail, you fail yeah. miserably. And I think yeah, he's Josh and I have done that a lot. Yeah, in our <laughs> <lives>. <laughs> yeah you, you, yes. have, you have to keep swinging though, right? Yeah, you, you do you, keep you, swinging. You, you, you can't you can't you can't stop. Or you have to, it's like the jump shooter that has to keep shooting after after he's shooting. missed after he's missed like eighteen straight shots. Yeah, I, so. I, I was actually uh, I covered Maryland, believe it or not, here at the new, at this newspaper for like five or six years. I covered their basketball team and. And really at a really good time when they won the national championship and a couple of years after that. So I was covering them when Barry came onto the scene at the Washington Post. I think he took over for Josh Barr, who had been on that beat for a number of years. But I had never heard of him. He -hmm. shows up. um, And immediately I just I saw like probably the first story I saw that he wrote. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to try to write like this guy <laughs> right yeah i mean it's just so obvious like the f- every story he writes is so well constructed he's so always well thought out and then and like you said like you asked him about no matter the subject he could yeah. be writing about golf well, one day baseball yeah. i mean well, you know the olympics did, yeah you know, you know what he did with this josh Hader story today it was so good that call yeah so yeah. like everybody's writing about that yeah everybody under but he under went into well, you yeah. explain it yeah, yeah i was gonna say like and the trick to writing about a topic that everybody is hitting on is to find a unique angle to it right and so he did i mean he he found from his from his house probably he called this guy who's like a delegate or a politician or something like that in milwaukee and african-american he, i believe uh, yeah and he yeah. talked he talked in detail with this guy about what the culture is like and what the what the city is like and the issues that they have with um socio socioeconomic issues that they have and um you know obviously the things that hater said would be uh hard for a lot of people to stomach in 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 milwaukee based on um what this political uh figure said there but that that was just a great way of attacking that story and a great angle to it and he's doing it from here from washington and he's like let me think about milwaukee here let me he he wrote the at least the column he wrote he writes about um the kneeling yeah. Is this is that what you read? What I'm talking about? Because in the I read a column today that he wrote. Okay, we must be talking about two different things. He uh, wrote specifically so. about Josh Hader today. That was Who, who's today's from this there? He's from Ann Arundel County. Yeah. I didn't realize. But you're saying that, he wrote man. something? Well, else. he he kind of no. Uh, this might be. We should have uh, figured this out beforehand. But it, uh, they, within the fabric of the story, at least, however briefly, uh, he talks about. Well, uh, the, the people he yeah. talks to no, same, talk, same talk about. Okay, they talk about. Well, when NFL players kneel. Uh, they get ridiculed. This guy comes out and says and has these tweets, and he gets a yeah. standing ovation. That's how good Barry yeah. is. He made both. Yeah. He did both things in this column. I like know. he made these two incredible points in this column. I, I know. Mean, he's the. I mean, to me, uh, he's really one of the best. Uh, he is. I, I mean, country. I, 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 I said mean, it, and I'm, it's, it's not an exaggeration. It's not like I'm just saying it to be nice to the guy. Like he legitimately is one of, one of yeah. the best sports writers there is. And the reason so. why I wanted to ask him about like how late he went to bed or whatever, and he it, and it was good that he got into like their deadlines. And so you got, you got a picture. His deadline was 1230. So you got a picture of how quickly he has to turn around these masterpieces yeah. that he writes. And I used to always say that when he was at the post, Michael Wilbon was the best deadline column writer I had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I haven't been around that long, but you know, he's the best one that I'd read, I should uh-huh. say. And I think Zerluga is almost like sort of taking that mantle yeah. and he, he's that guy now. I wanted to ask you guys though, have you ever filed at 1230 and gone out for a beer together? <laughs> no. 
No, I have, too, no I have too far to drive home. <laughs> right. It, it, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, that, that that's the thing. Like Josh, Josh doesn't live around here like like I do. So it's so it's tough for us to get together. And, and he could crash at your place. He, he could, and he always that's a, that's an open. Yeah. Greg has certainly cranked out some stories right on deadline, and from more from, than one from, story from, from, from odd right on from odd locations too. One time I was in the lobby of a yeah. hotel in their business center and i wasn't staying there i just i, I needed a computer because my laptop wasn't <laughs> yeah. working or i couldn't get a connection so i walked into this hotel very discreetly prayed that there was a computer open in the in their business center <laughs> sat down started typing yeah. finished my story and I, I walked out the door and, and, and no one knew i was even there yeah, we, so. greg is the quote-unquote deadline guy like he's the guy like if there's going to be a questionable event at a late hour and it's a remote location it, it, like, it, he's yeah, the guy it, i want on it it's, it's it's a bit of a thankless job because if you're if you happen to be good on deadline you get all these like <laughs> crap assignments <laughs> you get all these crap assignments like you have the 10 o'clock 10 you're putting the gun to your head almost <laughs> right, like yeah, right you have a you have the 10 p.m basketball game and we're gonna need the story by like 11 you're so, holding the gun so, against your right, own yeah, temple yeah, while exactly. you're writing like like being good at some of this stuff is not like a, a, a really positive thing I, I i would say but um but you're no berries Reluga. No, that, 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 I don't know that, who that, is. That, that and is, anybody um, listening, go find that column about the the Milwaukee Brewers and everything yeah. that they're that they're doing. I mean, there. that's and just yeah, that's just like an example of like his average work. Yeah, you know, I and know. it's sp- spectacular. I wanted to get back into the Tiger Woods stuff with you guys because uh, Josh saw something interesting on Sunday night after the British Open. He saw an Instagram post from <laughs> from Sports Illustrated of all. Yeah, places. you were mad about that. I, yeah. uh, 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 like saying, giving like Tiger basically a pat on the back, saying "Good job, buddy." Uh, or, or, yeah, it was or, like or way to play. It was like stunning, like it, stunning because it was coming from Sports Illustrated. It was so. ha- it was like hashtag well done or something in a picture of him, and it was like you got I, you never that did that with Junior sick, Robinson man. on the that, FNP Sports. Uh, Twitter feed. You we, never we, did. Congratulations, I mean, Junior. Look, we write ninety percent fluff here at this newspaper because we write ninety percent about high school kids. All on deadline. It is true. That's true. Well, yeah, we we can't we can't we. <laughs> I mean, it's common sense. We just can't hammer high school. So kids we can't or, like like, right. like you would a professional athlete who's getting paid or a high level college athlete I, who's getting a free education. But I hold Sports Illustrated up here. You know, they're yeah, like, yeah. We, all, we all do. Yeah. And to see and not and granted, it's not a it's not an SI writer it's not um sl price or uh lee jenkins Mm -hmm. putting that instagram post out post out you know what i mean it's like somebody that runs their social media so lee jenkins did an instagram like way to go and good run in cleveland lebron but still it's like it's just the idea that their media company would like congratulate that guy I mean, obviously, for finishing, finishing six, finishing, he didn't so, even do anything. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about this, and I, I was going to bring this up to Barry, but this applies way more to you guys anyway, because you guys are definitely anti-Tiger at this point. I believe both of you are. Uh, I, I, I Greg, would. I, Greg I, is I, I'm not. You're more on the fence. I'm more on the fence, but okay. I, I'd be fine if Tiger never won another tournament again. <laughs> so I wrote this down. Michael Rosenberg wrote uh, in Sports Illustrated uh, after. Actually, ironically, for Sports Illustrated, (laughs) Uh, he said, quote, Tiger sounded like a dad who wants to show his kids his best version of himself. This was after uh, he was done. He wasn't, you You know, his kids don't do any Google searches on (laughs) on his name. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just wonder you being a dad. And I know one of your biggest gripes with Tiger is that he you think he's a horrible, awful, no good human being. But I he do. came in six. He wasn't the old Tiger. He gave his kids some very meaningful hugs. That's a quote from Tiger, very meaningful right. hugs. And oh, our yeah. producer Graham's laughing at that quote, oh, but yeah. that's what he said. And and that line right there. He Graham, just do you ever trying... give your kids like an unmeaningful <laughs> hug? 
Yeah. I've never given a meaningful man, hug yeah. in my life to anybody. Collins, this is a foreign concept. Man, th- man this hug was pretty unmeaningful. So, <laughs> but he try He's trying to give his kids the best version. Do you disagree with that statement? Does it matter to you? I mean, obviously all? he loves his kids. Do you think he changed? He's trying to improve. No, no, it, he's it, a sex it, addict, it, Colin. It, it, and see, and see, that's you the never thing. recover. You're you're always a sex addict. But, you, no, and that's the you thing. You never like, recover. Like the golf media has started to portray <laughs> Tiger, and you guys will agree with this. I think they've started to portray Tiger as this sympathetic, is, sympathetic yes. figure. Like, you always well, say well, this. Well, and well, I agree. Well done, Tiger, or or way to go. I don't go. think you're sympathetic because someone says well done. No, but but there's they're like rooting. They're like there's like a rooting for Absolutely. him now. Like like this guy need he needs this. Like we like we need to pick. Pick, pick I think up. everybody still think golf's need golf needs. God, it. Can we stop? That's yeah, well, what people yeah, think. I don't want to. I don't want to get into that. But but Tiger's like being, and Michael Bamberger. I even saw uh, he he writes for SI. I think still, but you don't see his, he doesn't write a lot of golf stories in the magazine anymore. But he writes for golf.com at least, and he basically touched on it too. It's like Tiger is taking on this role as a sympathetic figure in the eyes of the golf media. It's like they're, they're, they, they 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 want true. they want to see him fair. like win a major. You know you know who wrote something. That, at our paper for 72 hours within the last month was Alan Etzler, yes. who wrote about how he is no longer a golf fan. Yes. He had previously been yeah. one. And he makes an excellent point. And that is, all of these guys who are like the next Tiger, all these young guys are really good, they're really bland. There is nothing That's interesting true. about any of them. So I think the golf I media... I Rory's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't I know mean, that I completely there's, agree there's, with Alan. There's, but, there's, there's stories you could like find. Right, in, but I, he, he, his point is like, these guys as personalities don't give anything they don't give you anything how about that dude who won what was it the masters this year who is estranged from his family or something right. yeah that yeah. yeah i mean there are characters out there for sure but like it's hard it's just hard to find these guys and, and i think for the me- for the media that covers that sport they just since none of these guys are really all that interesting on the surface they all just default and fall back to we have to write about tiger we have to tiger needs to be be better we need you know, yeah we, i mean we need that for the sport the, the story after the british open was not that francesco molinari became the first italian to win a major tournament it was that tiger had the lead at some point and finished sixth i mean that, that all the headlines were tiger but it wasn't charges. at some point it was on sunday halfway through the day he was i mean it's you you're the, you dismissing it as much as you're dismissing it that's what i have a problem with because i do think it matters and i do think it did matter i will tell you this i woke up sunday i look on my phone i get an alert that says tigers win, he was he's, he's at the, the top of the he's leaderboard the he's on hole nine or ten i don't remember what i sat there i turned it on first golf i've watched all year live and i watched the rest of the afternoon right. i even i watched through the end i mean i think i'm not the only person who no, once they saw tiger was there they immediately were interested no and i, and I was at the, i was at the quicken loans national and literally like the leaders of the tournament no one was there, there was like three people watching them yeah. where tiger has his army of people yeah. like like five or six deep following him or wherever he goes there's, there's no doubt his star power no no one no one's questioning that but it's like and i, and I said this to josh too, it's like a bit of a chicken in the egg like T- tiger obviously stands on his own with his accomplishments and stuff like that but do people follow tiger because that's all the golf writers talk about and is all the golf and is the only reason why the golf writers write about tigers that's all people care about it's, it's like it's got like a bit of a chicken in the egg quality all right are we done so, with tiger yeah, can we please look i haven't seen it. you guys in like a month yeah, yeah, let's we're, talk we're, about something right. other than okay. golf and tiger woods yeah where, where, where have you been yeah all, all, all I, not time. not just not here that's right, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, that's what i think most of the reporters think i've literally been on vacation for like three months but you're just, going next i'm week working too. i'm just working at yeah, home you won't be here next week and then i'm leaving next week but yeah you know it's summertime we had to take vacation 
you know, when right. the school is out because when school's in, we're we're busy. What did you think? What do you think of the Machado trade? Um, I think they got four guys and good that, prospects. And, and well, well let me it? let me just say that I I I don't know anything. I don't know enough about them, but they're they're traded him for two and a half months for the Dodgers. Like they. The the prime time to trade him is was long long since passed. So they got four guys, one of which is probably pretty much like a slam dunk in terms of this guy's going to start a, in the major star, leagues. Sorry, he's a starter. Right. Yeah. He's going to start in the major leagues. The other three, who knows? But I'll take I'll take the odds that maybe one of them also turns out. That's fine with me. They, okay. they you know two and a half. I, I, I think they did better than the Zach Britton trade, getting the pitching pitchings with particularly the from the Yankees, right. who yeah, have right. a really great farm system. Right. They got three pitching prospects from the Yankees. I, I think they did better in the Zach Britton trade than they did the Machado trade that might result in a start a good starting outfielder. And they so. don't and they should not stop. They should trade Adam Jones. They should trade Jonathan Scope. <laughs> they should trade, they should trade Kevin Gossman. They should trade Dill. I don't care. Well, trade them all. That, and that's the thing. We've mentioned it before. Like the guys making these moves might not even be here in, 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 in two months. That's Dan Duquette and Buck Show. And, well, and yeah, yeah, and what you also need to look at is how long are these guys under contract? And the point is somebody like Kevin Gosman is under contract for like one more year. So is Jonathan Scope. Do you think they're gonna be any good next year? No. Trade them. Get something for him. Jonathan Scope ain't re-signing with the it's Orioles. It's a fire sale. Get it's rid fire of sale. everybody. Well, like, well, yeah, what's Trade Gosman the Cal be? Ripken like, statue. Is, is, is Gosman going <laughs> to be like a lo- lockdown, lights-out starter no, next year? He, no, you already know who he right, is. Right, I cannot, yeah. I, I'm so Trade sick of that Natty guy. Trade the Natty Bow Factory. Yeah. Trade I mean, well, did you see? Did you see recently that the Orioles brought back Brooks Robinson as an, an advisory capacity? Really? I didn't. And I was, I, I made a crack about it. I'm like, this was before they traded Machado, and it was like Brooks is back with the Orioles. And I was like, sadly, this is probably they're probably getting Brooks Robinson for Manny Machado. Like that's what that's the trade. <laughs> trade Boog Powell, Colin, you're our our foodie uh, of sorts. Have you ever had a Boog's barbecue sandwich? No. What I've never you, even heard. Nah. Of that. No. What is that? I've never heard Graham's of. Graham's holding his hands up. Yeah. In what disgust. is that? That's you. Yes, you. You know what that is? Boog's Barbecue out on Cam, out on the Utah, Utah Street. Utah. Camden oh, Yards. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I didn't. You've know never that. had pit never beef. Had Are you it, not no. a pit beef? Whenever I go there, I just drink. That's oh, okay. not. I, that's that's you, what you, I do. You just drink your your you, course you, you, you light. Nah, Natty Bo's. You, you don't go oh, for the you don't go for the ballpark fair. Natty Bo Hun. Natty Bo's Hun. You know that's not even that's not even made in Baltimore. No, oh well, not anymore. Not anymore. But it but it looks like it is. It sure it sure it looks so. the same as it always did. But so what else what else happened while you were gone? No, I, nothing. I, I don't know. Whatever that's happened, it? I don't know about it because I didn't really pay any attention. He and, and he didn't care. Either, did you know Tiger Woods finished sixth in the British Open? He didn't talk about that. Only because he was only he was coming back to work he probably, he probably no, you know, right? how about serena you know serena losing in the oh, final oh yeah so i was i watched the hell out of wimbledon um okay. enjoyed enjoyed a lot the men's the men's tournament was unbelievable the, the, the nadal Djokovic match one of the best matches i've ever seen um obviously that was for a semifinal, but it should have been the final really because the poor kevin anderson kevin, kevin anderson, anderson was going 26 24 <laughs> was thrown to the wolves and 13 11 the previous round against federer yeah and, and his upset went over over that Rogers, was a, that so. was a fantastic thing um to see serena's always always incredible always fun to watch even in a losing effort um i did watch and, and colin you you'll probably be interested in this i i watched the ufc i watch it twice probably the first two times i've watched ufc events in a year. Did you watch the whole Brock Lesnar thing? No, I oh, watched. Okay. They had two UFC fight nights came on that uh, bookended my vacation. One was on Saturday night. was the last night I was working. Mm-hmm. I, t- I had it on while I was working. And then then a week later on Sunday, they had an event. I watched both of them. I didn't know. I probably didn't know like 40 or 50% of the fighters, but... <laughs> 
Um, I watched, I was really into that. I, I, you know, every time I do sit down and watch it, I remember how much I enjoy that sport, even, even as brutal as it is. And I think as I get older, the less sort of tolerant I am of the amount of blood and the, and the disgusting yeah. things that happen to these guys in the middle of these fights and the sh- sort of shocking things mm-hmm. that happen to them that kind of turned me off now as I get older. But I did remember how much I do love that sport and how incredible those guys are. Granted, most of them are probably doing illegal drugs, but because <laughs> of the way they look, most are all. Yeah, I, it's well, they are they are uh, tested by uh, they they have the US ADA that does all their drug testing, so it's pretty strict now. It might be tough for them to to, to fail drug tests, but th- those guys physically always are impressive to me. Just how just totally shredded they are and there should be a ufc fighter that calls himself mr perfect that that <laughs> how does that not happen i yeah. know how is that not how did you watch the world cup um we i talked did about that i did week. i did not watch the final i watched i um, watched the final with our producer that's awesome yeah we got together he asked me to hang out that over, never over happens a couple of, over a couple of drinks or i had a couple well, of drinks. obviously <laughs> well it was 11 in the morning yeah so no i was actually on the, <laughs> that, i actually that, that, was that's why i asked. oh well i know but graham Graham's not going to No, do I that. wasn't able to see that. Um, he had chicken tenders. They looked very good. They were delicious. Awesome. Yes. Where were they from? Bushwallers. We went to Bushwallers. Oh, they make good food there? Yeah, dude. Okay. Well, I'm always turned off by that place. Yes. So. Sponsored like by Bushwallers. Bushwallers. Yeah. <laughs> As I slam Bushwallers. And Natty Bo. Right. No, so anyway, yeah, so didn't I, I didn't watch much. Okay. I didn't watch much sports. I did try to stay awake for the All Star game. Uh, I ended up falling asleep. Do you have a problem with there being a thousand home runs and the the hits were on par with the amount of home runs? No, that's baseball today. Okay, so, so you don't care. That was exa- That was you don't care. It's an <laughs> exhibition of baseball. <laughs> Drop in the music. Josh don't, doesn't. No, care. no, it's an exhibition of baseball, and that is an example of what the sport is today. How about so, the home run derby? Wasn't I didn't, that exciting? I, I didn't watch a single pitch of that. I was at the beach. I was at my parents' house. They were at the house and they were watching their shows, whatever the hell. Is. House Hunters? I think like, what is this? There's some show that come that came on. It's called like Elementary or something. CSI Lucy Lewis Emmitsburg? In it. Yeah, it was stuff yeah, like that. Okay. I was just like, yeah, I'm out of here. Like I, they, they only have one TV in the house. So I was, was like, I, I guess I'm going to go watch something else. So I, think I didn't get to see them caught up on sports now. I think well, uh, <laughs> NFL training camps are starting. I know, and, and the and Hall of Fame games next week. Yeah, right, the, uh, yeah. the Ravens. And did you guys notice that the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to shelve their national anthem? I uh, did not uh, notice that. Policy. Yeah, their policy is on hold. For the time being. So, so well, that thing we talked about for 45 minutes <laughs> a few months ago. It's well, gone. It's, it's, it's responsible what the Dolphins were. were they're still trying. Do. They're still trying. They're they're hoping to work something out before the regular season starts. But 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 that policy they enacted, uh, huh. and, and many people thought was was heavy handed. I mean, that's not happening. So that's all right, good. Well, <laughs> getting off of that subject in the NFL, why don't we go around? Like camps are starting. That's right. So let's go around. Who's what's the most interesting storyline um, that you guys are going to be paying attention to as camps start up? And it can be. It can be regarding your team. Yeah, it well, just, it's got to be. It's got to be. So it's going to be one of the inter- most interesting storylines in all of football, I would think. The best quarterback in the draft falling to us. All, I hate when people say if, that. If, if, falling just, to the New York Jets. That. I'm if, sorry. If he ever gets under Teddy con- Bridgewater is going to start. If he ever gets under contract. If he ever gets under contract. I mean, Darnold's one of three f- players in, in the whole draft that's not under contract. He's yet. holding out to play for the Montreal Alouettes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Johnny Manziel yeah. just back got up. Tra- he got Manziel traded. Right. He got traded to the worst team in the CFL. Really? Form, yeah. Former Baltimore Stallions. That's, oh. Right. Is that who they are? Yeah. So yeah, what so, are you guys? So to me, it's Sam Darnold. Okay. How about you guys? Well, J- Josh just served one up to me. I mean, this Josh Gordon situation that oh, just, that just happened right. this yeah. week with him well, dealing with some mental health anxieties. Mm-hmm. But he's stuff. not even going to be in camp. So pick, pick 
Something um, with the Browns that's actually going to be occurring. Baker. Well, ba- Baker's not going to start, though. Um, so the, the the Gordon thing is interesting because like, he's not suspended. Like He's going to be back. It's just a matter of when. And and they need him because their receiving core takes a, obviously a big hit without him. Um, Jarvis Landry becomes a, instead of a really good number two receiver, he becomes their best receiver. Yeah. So they overpaid um, that guy. They had to though. Well, if they I were going to sign, they had to overpay. Well, they, they had, they well, had, they had, they I'll tell you cap, why they had the cap room to do it. I'll too, tell you why so. he pisses me off. <laughs> Are we allowed to say that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you why he angers me so much because. He oh, drove up it. the price for Stefan Diggs. Uh, right. Stefan Diggs is a much better player than Jarvis Landry. Now, his numbers aren't as good as his, but that doesn't mean he's not better. He is a better player than Jarvis Landry, and now Diggs is going to command more when he comes becomes a free agent next year, and the Vikings aren't going to be able to keep him. Thanks, Jarvis Landry. Well, it's the, same, it's the Todd Gurley syndrome. Yeah. Uh, that he got, what, $45 million guaranteed now, and, yeah. and Le'Veon Bell immediately tweeted at him like, thanks, dude. Because yeah. now I'm going to finally right. get what I feel like I deserve. Uh, my my non Josh Gordon answer would be Tyrod Taylor. Like, can he hold? How long can he okay. hold off uh, Baker Mayfield? Okay. I, I think he'll be able to do Week it. Week three because he's well <laughs> of training camp. Maybe, perhaps. <laughs> but Baker would have to be lights out, and Tyrod would have to be really shaky, which he's yeah. never been. He's never been spectacular, but he's yeah. never been that shaky. I don't know if Baker will be. Uh, they're pretty similar either. sort of players, aren't right, they? They are, and that's, I think that's one of the reasons why they signed Tyrod Taylor because they knew they wanted Mayfield, so they wanted. Uh, How's Taylor's like accuracy? Is he is he known as a pretty accurate guy? Uh, he is. He's not. He's not a risk taker. That's why he doesn't throw okay. any interceptions. Right. So he's not going to make any. He's not going to make any huge spectacular plays. But he's not going to make big mistakes. Yeah. The so, single worst fantasy football player I've ever had on my team, Tyrod Taylor. Right. Just because he doesn't. Was he, he a starter? Yeah, in Buffalo. Uh, no, no, he was your starter. Yeah, for a few games. Oof. Yeah, he's not. He's not a spectacular player, but he's not gonna. He's not gonna hurt you in a big way either. But, but right, if you need fantasy for football, fantasy, you you need points. Yeah, I, he he got me anywhere from two point one to negative five point six. That was it. <laughs> he, it was an. It was just insane. How about you, Josh? It's gonna be Minnesota, isn't it? Yeah. So with with the Vikings, there are a couple of things I'm always concerned about. Injuries. I don't. As long as there's no major injury, I'll be pleased with whatever happens in the preseason. <laughs> as long as one of their starting 22 is not out for the year by the time September whatever rolls around, I think I'll be relatively satisfied. The main storyline, this is probably really like nuts and bolts answer more than just a general storyline, is so they have a new offensive coordinator and they obviously have Kirk Cousins now. So the big talk there is that, ooh, let's see what they can do with, with this offense and Dalvin Cook is back. How will they work in the RPOs that were so popular with the Eagles last year with Cousins and Dalvin Cook? And that's become Run a really option. Yeah, that's those. become a really popular <laughs> concept in the NFL, right? You need a key to listen to this podcast. Especially with what the Eagles were able to accomplish using yeah. those style of plays. I, I'm interested in that, but I'm more interested in how John T. Filippo can help their defense figure out how in the hell to stop RPOs because they got <laughs> shredded with that concept and that scheme against the Eagles and against some other teams in the, in the and throughout the season like the Panthers just destroyed them a couple of times with some of those plays. So and it's sort of like a backwards sort of uh, thing there. Like the offensive coordinator could end up helping the defense. I would sort of figure out how to solve former, this. Former Browns offensive coordinator, John. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's a great so, yeah. thing to so that's, I, those are some things I'm exactly. interested in, among we, many other. We should have asked Barry about the Redskins. I know. Well, I think that we, was uh, we could have talked to him for like two that hours. And, 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 I mean, it here's, would be easy. Here's so. something about the Redskins that we can say. I said this to Greg the other day. It's funny how like now, like right when camp starts, everybody thinks they're like a you you make the case that everybody's a Super Bowl contender, right? Of course, almost everybody. 
And I look around the league, and you could go down the list, and you're sort of like, yeah, you could look at each team and be like, yes, I can see that team being in contention for the playoffs at least. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Redskins. They're not. I think they're probably one of the very few teams, if you look down the whole list of NFL franchises this year, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be able to sniff the playoffs this Three year. Three and a half over under on wins. Three and a half. I'll what say over take? on I'll that. Take, okay. I'll four take, and a half. I might. I would say they're going to win five games. Okay. So I'll take the over on four and a half. What would you I mean, take, for, on the Redskins? Yeah. Uh, I, the over under four and a half. I'd say over, but not by much. Yeah, I just I don't think there's anything exciting about that team. Um, well, that doesn't mean they won't win games. Except for Darius Geis, maybe the, the running Alex back that Smith they have. Smith isn't isn't exciting to you? <laughs> no, he's <laughs> not. <laughs> I mean, if you look at their division too, with the Cowboys, good, good team, the Eagles, Super Bowl champs, the, the Giants, the Giants will be better, right? Oh my yeah. God, yeah, they're they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I mean, who do they? They, they signed Paul Richardson as one of their wide receivers he's a, he's a to pair with receiver. Josh Doxson right. and Jameson Crowder. Like that's Paul their all Richardson. That is their that is their Who's trio of wide receivers. He was a Seahawks. Nolan Richardson. He was a Seahawks. Yeah. He's like a speedster. Forty minutes of hell, Nolan Richardson. Yeah. And then you have, and then of course Jordan Reed will get a concussion in the first preseason he's, game, he's, the first snap. He's already out for the start of training camp. I, I heard that's the not a surprise. Right, he's on the right, pup list. Right, yeah, yeah. Pup list. Did so. they did they get rid of Terrell Pryor? Yes. He's yeah. He, that was only a one year deal. The Jets oh, signed the Jets. Yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> You're <laughs> such a Jets fan. <laughs> I am. I don't even know Terrell so. Pryor's on the team. Well, right. I mean, that's not necessarily no, a marquee it's, signing. No, it's not. Right. Yeah. I don't know, but who are their receivers? Uh, Terrell Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think this, the Redskins are in for a, t- a, t- a tough season. All yeah. right. Well, have we babbled on long enough, gen- gentlemen? I think they're sick of All us. All right. Our thanks to uh, Barry's Verluga. Welcome back, Josh. Go, happy to go have buy you back. Barry's books. You're welcoming me back just in time go to say, on vacation. see you later. <laughs> go on vacation. Yeah, we again. won't see, we'll see you in a couple week. weeks. We'll, we'll be back in a couple weeks because I'm on vacation too next week. So, Colin, unless I'm you want to do the podcast you, by myself uh, next week. Unless you want to talk to yourself, hey, talk to, talk to Chris Kinsler. Um, you, you can bring him, him in here. Absolutely. We'll see you in two weeks. Did he impersonate me in the podcast? We were thinking about firing you, but we let you keep You were a hat. Go read Barry's books. Go buy his books. Yeah, he's especially the grind. He is awesome. Very for Thanks to him, and uh, we'll see see you next time on uh, (laughs) Just Another Sports Podcast.